great day, comrades. We sail into history. Totally football show at the World Cup. In the spotlight this time, it's the groups of DEF, the groups of DEF. And here to tell us about them, Jack Lang, Matt Davis, Daniel Story and James Horncastle. Now he cannot stop. Yeah, and hello to you, listener. What an exciting panel we have as we continue our exploration of the upcoming World Cup. Jack Lang... Especialista in football sudamericano. A little bit Esperantoized that. But that was lovely. That's you, isn't it, really? Matt Davis, what you haven't seen of international football, they don't show on Nigerian television. That's true. <laughs> Daniel Story, whose book, Gazda in Italy, audiobook, is available at 4 99 on Audible and iTunes. And James Horncastle. Here to tell us all about Italy's 2-1 win over Saudi. Good times. (laughs) We've also got all sorts of other things coming up, as you know, if you listen to our first one. Fun games. There'll be knowledge and there'll be global sounds on the way. But let's begin with our first group, brought to you by the letter D. Big D is dashing through the door. Little D is dancing across the floor. D's in a dinghy on the deep blue sea. You excited about this one, Jase? Yeah, I think it's got the the best kits in the World Cup, all in one group. I just think it's fantastic. All right. Which is I mean, favorite? just getting in today, I had to like sort of you know navigate that huge queue out for Oxford Circus. Is it still outside? People sleeping outside, trying to get one of those Nigeria kits. Right. It's quite be... remarkable. Right. Okay. So the kits are nice. There's some lovely football as well. Hey, Daniel. It's a really interesting group, I think, in that the two top seeds, or what we consider the top seeds, Argentina and Croatia, are kind of afraid of pitfalls that Nigeria represent. I think uh, this will be a bridge too far for Iceland, but Nigeria will certainly fancy themselves of upsetting at least one of those two, which kind of makes every game in the group feel like it's worth watching. Our man on Nigerian TV, Matt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they've got a reasonable chance, actually, Nigeria. It's it's a nice group, this. It's not quite one of those perfect ones where you get a team from every continent, but obviously we've got Iceland in there as well, smallest nation ever to qualify for a World Cup, and we enjoyed them so much at the Euros. But Nigeria, fourth favourites probably to win the group, but it's so open. I think you can can make a case for any of the four teams finishing top or finishing bottom, even. Well, that's interesting. Well, we'll try and do just that, then. Let's begin with the big dogs, Argentina. Jack, just a quick reminder, if you come top of this group, you're probably going to get Denmark in the last 16. Hmm. But if you come second, France, probably. What are Argentina going to do, Jack? I think it's going to be a tough World Cup for them, actually. I imagine there's a decent chance they will get out of the group by hook or by crook, but by no means is that a given. It's a team that not only is over-dependent on Lionel Messi, it's a team that also struggles to get the best out of him sometimes. They both need him to basically score all the goals, but they also need him as a creator. We saw in qualifying, he was very often dropping deep into the centre circle, kind of trying to take responsibility 
in the midfield because the production line isn't there. I think there are question marks over the system, whether it suits the players. In fact, maybe not even a question mark, it just doesn't really. Like Sam Pauli is a player who likes a high press, who likes a high defensive line. They don't have the pace at the back to do that, as we saw in the in the friendly against Spain. Absolutely slaughtered by quick attacks. And I think there could be more of that to come for Argentina. Spain put six goals past Argentina. Now, was that because Sampali was experimenting with his lineup, or were they just really bad? They were just very, very bad. Wow. And there are still, you know, even after the questions of system, we've got some personnel issues. Um, Sergio Romero, the first choice, has pulled out. He didn't seem to think, or his camp didn't seem to think it was actually that serious. Thought he could have recovered in time, so there's a bit of... Uh, question marks behind the scenes, if you will. There are injury issues. Lucas Bilia, who's going to be a key player in midfield, is struggling with a back issue. If he doesn't make it, it could be uh, Javier Mascherano in midfield, turns 34 this week, I think, and is not doing well if the uh, if the Spain game was any evidence. Jack, I hear what you're saying, <laughs> but I don't, I don't believe you because it's Argentina. I mean, they've been... They were runners-up at the last World Cup, despite all the problems. They've been runners-up in the past two Copper Americas, despite all the problems as well. And they've got Messi. What, what does anybody else think? Sorry, I just wondered, Jack, if there's... Um, I watched quite a lot of Boca Juniors this season, and I really, really like Christian Pavon. I just wondered if there's any chance of him actually getting some football. He's one of only three Super League players, actually, in the squad. If he is going to get game time, I think it might be uh, to offer a slight variation, because Angel Di Maria often... Manuel Lanzini is going to play with Messi and Di Maria and kind of a, a trident behind the striker. But we see Di Maria cuts in all the time. Lanzini, if he starts on the left, is going to cut in all the time. Pavon, I think, would give a little bit more width. I know he can cut in from the left, does so at club level sometimes, but he's been used often on the right for Argentina. I think that might be an interesting option. You know, his determination, pace. I think he could possibly break into the team if he doesn't start and maybe a bit of, you know, youthful energy, which is much needed. Um, so... If I had to pick a, a youngster that could make an impression, it would be him. Lo Celso as well, it will probably play and is a pretty good player, I think. Mm. A bit of but the only settled craft. part of that side is, apart from Messi playing, are the two centre-backs, Fazio and Otamendi. Um, the rest has been just like watching Sampaoli play with a Rubik's Cube for, for, for the last nine months because I think they've played um, ten different midfield combinations, seven different striker uh, combinations. They've played with back three, back four... I don't think anyone could say with any certainty what the starting eleven will be when they play their first game. And I know people have made the comparison between Sampaoli and Conte in that, you know, this, this period in particular now where he's got time with the team, he'll be able to drill them, maybe make a country play like a club side. But Conte did have two years where he could at least lay the groundwork for that team. Sampaoli, is, it's the first time that Messi's actually had a coach for Argentina. I think we all recognise that Sampaoli's a very good coach. Previously people have just said... Kind of get on with it. Well, I mean, look at the his predecessors. You know, um, Diego Maradona, Maradona um, Tata Martino, Sabella, um, who probably was the best of the rest. Bowser. They've had three just in the space of qualifying alone, and I think they actually sh- share a lot of similarities with Croatia, insofar as the talent is there for everyone to see, but the instability off the pitch, um, be it in the federation, be it in the changes on the bench. Um, are actually hindering this side from reaching its potential, I'd say. Blimey. Jack, what's the, what are the expectations in Argentina? Uh, I think fairly tepid, I, I would say. But mm. on James's point there, Sam Pauli has said a few months ago he, he would rather have had the extra time on the training pitch than the pre-tournament friendlies, which works into the theory that he 
you know, he would like to regard it as a kind of club setup, but he just hasn't had the time. But right. the team did go and visit the Pope today, so, so that's, well, they yeah. might have God on their side. And there's no telling how how big an impact that could have. Matt, you commentate on the Argentine League for Nigerian TV, mm. so you'll be aware that Nigeria have been put out by Argentina four times in the last five World Cups that they've been at. Yeah, and five times in six they've been um, they've been in a group with them. Extraordinary. Wow. That is amazing. But more recent results have been more favourable to the Super Eagles. Yeah, back in November, Nigeria won 4-2 uh, in a friendly in which Argentina just uh, completely collapsed, basically. But there's a, there's a sense of stability about Nigeria, which is, um, which is not there with Argentina, which was sort of evidenced in that game, really. Very... That scoreline again? 4-2, Nigeria. To Nigeria. Yeah. Very impressive. No Messi that day, I believe. Correct. So what we're basically saying is a lot of people might look at this group and go, well, it's Argentina and one, but top spot is open to question there. What do you think, Daniel? The only thing I would say about Argentina is that South American qualifying is notoriously difficult. Um, It's one thing looking at Argentina taking 20 points from 10 games, but Croatia finished in the group behind Iceland, and they're both in the same group here. Nigeria have clearly improved and there is more stability than they would normally expect. But I still think Argentina will have plenty in this group. I think their issue comes when they probably play Spain in the quarterfinals. And at that point, I think Spain will be far too disciplined for them and and they'll come unstuck. But I guess everyone in Argentina kind of sees this quarterfinals as a fairly reasonable achievement. And I think that's probably where where they'll come unstuck. What do you make then, Daniel, of the rest of the group? Who else do you see going through? I think Croatia are really interesting because they've got huge problems at the moment in terms of politics around the team. So have Argentina, but in terms of the federation, their best defender is probably Dejan Lovren and their best def- best midfielder is certainly Luka Modric. And both of those are accused of committing perjury in defending the chief of the, the president of the federation um, in his trial. And... I was in Croatia the last two weeks and they are not behind the team at all. There's no World Cup fever in Croatia whatsoever. They clearly have the tools in attacking areas to finish second in this group. But if Nigeria are going to upset one team in the group, I think it'll be Croatia. Their group performances were absolutely dreadful. And there's this golden generation which is ageing and ageing and ageing and never quite delivering. It's all on Modric creating for, for Mandzukic, basically with Perisic doing everything from the wings. And they're very easy to defend against. Wow. And the inexperienced man- managers, Zlatko Dalic, yeah, they, they, in. they they obviously changed manager reasonably recently. Which that you know, he came in for a, for a must win game, which they then won. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a feeling of well, he did all he had to do, so therefore he deserves a bit of goodwill. But in terms of the actual the playing side of things, there's not a lot of goodwill there. Oh dear. Nigeria, I bet there's some goodwill there, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. And um, they had a, a tough qualification group to actually get here. They had Algeria and Cameroon in their group, but they were the first African side to to, to book their place. They won four of their six games in the final stages of um, qualifying. They got lots of lots of pace on the counter attack. People like Victor Moses, Musa, Joel Obi. Uh, the experience of of John McElobi, who's playing in China now, obviously, but he, he looks like he's in, in reasonable condition. Um, I think it's a, a bonus for them that they've got Croatia in their first game because I agree with Daniel that Croatia's problems might might hinder them, certainly in the early parts of the tournament. Very experienced coach. He's managed various countries around Africa. Uh, Gernot Raw, German, uh, previously in charge of Gabon, Niger and Burkina Faso. The, the worries for them is that 
if Odin Agallo is going to be their, their central striker, he's also playing in China, but he's not scoring many goals. He's only got three and 16 for Nigeria. And at the other end of the pitch, Carl Akimi would be the first choice goalkeeper. Obviously, he's unavailable. He's got leukemia. They've made him the, the 24th man in the squad, which is a nice gesture. And you would think that Victor Inyema would probably be the number one in his place, but he's played two games for Lille's B team all season. So at either end of the pitch, that's where the problems lie. But if they, if they can catch... Croatia cold in the first game, they give themselves a, a reasonable chance of, of maybe finishing second. We, we've just seen Nigerian action, of course, at Wembley over the weekend, taking on England. What did you make of the performance there, Jack? Yeah, interesting on the goalkeeper, actually, because the, the youngster, Francis Azou, I didn't think he was particularly impressive. He's tall, he was good in the air, picked a few crosses out, but his distribution was very shaky, and I didn't think he covered himself in glory on Kane's goal either. Tall man, but struggled to get down. He is young, but I think that would be a worry if having a 19-year-old rookie goalkeeper. Um, They were poor in the first half, stretched by England, whose back five, I guess, pulled them out of shape. They didn't look comfortable at all. They switched systems in the second half and looked a great deal better. I think they're in with a chance of making it through, I do. They've got enough good players. Alex Awobi looks like a player who takes responsibility when he plays for his country. He kind of probably a slightly more confident player maybe than we see at Arsenal sometimes mm. certainly shooting wise his you know we've seen him scuff a thousand finishes in the Premier League this season but he's stroked home a lovely goal against England I think there, there's good potential there if they can get a bit of momentum you're listening to the totally football show totally at the World Cup and in association with Paddy Power Duncan Alexander-Opter has furnished us with some World Cup questions. Let me pose this one to you, answers at the end, of course. Name the only World Cup which Nigeria have featured in in which they haven't played Argentina. Uh, would that be the 94-98 when they beat Spain in the in 3-2 in the group stage? Answers at the end. And Duncan's other question, how many goals was Didier Six directly involved in in the 1978 World Cup? A little bit of a twist on that one. <laughs> yeah. Right, well, OK, so problems then for Nigeria, problems for Croatia, and definitely problems for Argentina. Does this mean that we could see our boys doing it again? Iceland, 577 times smaller than Nigeria, the teeniest nation ever to qualify for the World Cup. One man who knows all about our boys is Stefan Augustsson. Stefan, there you are. Have you got World Cup fever? <laughs> Definitely. At least uh, some kind of fever. Right. I- I'm delighted to hear it. You guys gave so much pleasure to football fans worldwide in, in 2016. What are the odds of you pulling off something similar again? Well, uh, I think they're a little more difficult than last time. The World Cup's kind of a, a bigger stage with uh, maybe a more difficult group with Croatia, Argentina and Nigeria. But uh, in the big tournaments, anything can happen. And this Iceland team has really shown that it, it raises its game against big teams. So yeah. who knows? Absolutely, because it wasn't just Euros that were successful. You actually finished top of the qualifying group ahead of Ukraine, Turkey and Croatia. Who are you going to meet again in the group? Yeah, Croatia are kind of our uh, biggest rivals, I think, in international football. They obviously knocked us out of the playoffs for the 2014 World Cup when we were we were so close to getting there. And then uh, we had them in the group this time and, and managed to finish above them. So uh, I'm sure they'll want to beat us and uh, we want to do the same. Mm. I know there's some injury concerns about some of the squad, particularly Gylfi Sigurdsson. What's the feeling in Iceland uh, going into this tournament? Well, obviously, uh, both of our main players, Gylfi Sigurdsson and Aron Einar, our captain, uh, got injured. 
uh, Gilvey has been injured for you know a couple months, and then Aaron just got injured at the uh, end of the season with with Cardiff. But the good news is Gilvey's back. He came off the bench uh, in our first friendly and uh, actually scored, so uh, he he's doing good and he, he should uh, be fit to play. Aaron is, in my opinion, an even more important player to our team, uh, just because he marshals the whole squad and really uh, is, I think, our most important player. Even though he's not the the highest quality uh, like Gilve is, but he's not quite fit enough to be playing the friendlies. But knowing him, he'll he'll probably play against Argentina. That's just kind of just the kind of character he is. So uh, hopefully everyone will be fit, although maybe not completely match fit. We were talking about Argentina and Croatia and how much talent they've got in their squads, but how at the same time those groups of players are beset by problems. There, there doesn't seem to be the unity that teams, for example, like Iceland have. Is this one of the advantages of being a, a, a tiny pool of, of people? <laughs> well, I mean, we'd love to have uh, players like Argentina have, especially uh, going forward, but the uh, ha- having the kind of not the strong players really makes us rely on other things like team unity and and working hard and the kind of fundamentals of football rather than maybe a one star player and a lot of egos so that's worked well for us and that's kind of what the whole philosophy of the Icelandic team is i mean we're we're very excited to play against messi in argentina that's a great honor for us and everyone's very excited for that game but we know what he can do, and if he decides to turn it on, which I think he probably wants to, knowing how, how this might be his last World Cup, and he, he really wants to win one, that could be a little scary. I'm hearing quiet confidence in, in your voice, though, Stefan. Is there going to be another big exodus to, to Russia from the Icelandic fans? Yeah, the, especially with the first game, the Argentina game, uh, that you know sold out, and, and, and everyone's trying to get to that game. The other games are maybe... Uh, you, you could probably get a ticket for that one, but... But there's definitely a lot of excitement to go go out there and, and follow the team and, and bring our uh, our Viking clap with us. Stefan Augustsson, who you can follow on the Iceland World Cup podcast. So, James, how, how are they going to finish? How's the group going to finish then? You know what? I wouldn't at all be surprised if Argentina failed to get out of this group. What? Yeah. I, I, well, again, I know looking back at qualifying and how difficult South American qualifying is, they won just one of their four under under Sampaoli, and that was that incredible messy game, the hat trick away in Ecuador. Mm. So, you know. so if they're not getting out, who is? I think we're going to see Nigeria um, get through, and also, I think I'm going to have to go with Croatia. Wow, just for Jack, a wild card. Well, at the risk of sounding like I'm copying, I th- tend to agree. Really, Nigeria and Croatia are at this group. I think it's. I think it's enormously even I think this is one of the most even groups and it wouldn't surprise me majorly if any of them got out or any of them I know that's deeply boring sorry Matt I've got to go uh, Argentina Nigeria just because I haven't renewed that contract for next season <laughs> yet and I'd quite like to keep it Daniel I'll be boring and say Argentina and Croatia 1-2 no one's going to say Iceland no no sorry alright I'll say Iceland and Argentina now that was group D next up some group E love we're heading here Mm, sweet sounds of Achtuji Sasan Sechi with Sevechi Kafa. 
which is what they're listening to in Brazil when they're not planning their street parties to celebrate the Hexa. Jack Lang, Brazil and a group with Switzerland, Costa Rica and Serbia. Mmm. Finish top of this puppy and you'll have probably Mexico in the last 16. If you come second, though, you're looking at maybe Germany. <gasps> Now, Brazil, last time we saw them in a World Cup, Jack, uh, they were getting beaten 7-1 by Germany, so they probably don't want to face them again right now. I think if Brazil could avoid one team at this tournament and at all future tournaments, it would be Germany, yeah. <laughs> this is a, a very different Brazil team, though, under Chito? Yes, it's, you know, if you haven't been paying attention to Brazil in the last four years, it's a cycle of two halves, so they basically wasted two years on Dunga, which was fairly laughable. So it's... a uh, two-year-old team basically under Cheech and they look a lot more coherent than they have probably for over a decade. He's kind of brought in new talent, not necessarily all young players. Gabriel Jesus was his kind of pet project, but players who had been in and out of the team before him, like Casimiro, um, Filipe Coutinho have been given a key role. Mm. They've grown into it and basically I think if, if you had to summarise what he's done tactically in in one sentence, it would be he's reduced the team's dependence on Neymar. Right. There is a slight irony there, of course, because Neymar yeah. dug them out of a hole against Croatia. But as a rule, they seem to have much more uh, swagger. There's more coherence. They have more passing options. They're willing to attack down both flanks. And it's, I think, a far more convincing team than the one we saw four years ago. All right. Well, the big question that everyone's been asking about Brazil is how fit is Neymar after his foot injury and he did make his return in the second half against Croatia and scored an absolutely blinding goal eh Daniel? Yeah and as Jack says there feels a really nice balance to Brazil now and there clearly is a reliance on Neymar in so much as he's one of the best players in the world but we're also talking about a team that in, for example, defensive midfield has Casemiro at Real Madrid, has Paulinho at Barcelona, has Fernandinho at Manchester City. So there doesn't feel like a soft centre to Brazil anymore. And yet he's managed to make them more fl- very flamboyant going forward, particularly in qualifying, which is he's done a really, really good job, hasn't he, Tite? The injury to Dani Alves, is there any spin that we could put on that to make it a positive thing? I think it, what it will mean is that it mean Brazil will be potentially very lopsided because they've got Marcello on the left, Neymar I presume will start on from, a, from the left nominally, Coutinho will start on the right and inevitably drift in so quite quickly I think they become quite lopsided but when you've got those two players on the left I mean that's going to be hard for any defence in the world to cope with if they, they start overlapping. Yeah, You went along downfield didn't you to see them play Croatia Jack? Yes. Were you impressed? It was quite a difficult afternoon for them, actually. They, I, I'd also seen them in at Wembley against England, and in that game they'd been really frustrated by a back five, to the extent that Chicha had been looking like he's looked over the last few months for variations, kind of tactical variations, to break down sides if they do load the defence. Like he's talked of, he calls it a richmista, which is a, a rhythmist, a percussionist to dictate the play in more central areas, so Coutinho could come inside. But against Croatia, who weren't playing a back five, they are playing a back four, but basically matched Brazil all over the pitch, identical formation. And Brazil took a long time, actually, to get any kind of rhythm. They struggled because I think, so Fernandinho was brought into the side. Casemiro sits in front of the defence and Fernandinho was just ahead of him alongside Paulinho. Didn't have a very good game and they looked very turgid in that midfield. All changed when Neymar came on, not only because of Neymar, but also right. because Coutinho looked... Uh, a little bit more creative and comfortable inside. In summary, 
This looks like an impressive vintage of the Selassar. Yeah, I think so. They've got a lot going for them. There's The team spirit in the camp is very good, demonstrated by the fact that when Neymar scored at the weekend, he ran over to the physios who have got him fit. I think the idea is to have him at peak fitness entering the knockout stages, so the group stage will be seen as a kind of a, a launch ramp for him. And I think if he gets going, Brazil are going to take some stopping because, as Daniel said, there is talent all over the pitch now. Certainly is. Particularly between the posts, those goalkeepers say, Matt, let me ask you a question. What did Mick McCarthy do in 1990 that Pele did in 1970? Well, that, I mean, who knows where to start with that. Uh... You have a think about that. Yeah, I will. I'm just trying to think of anything that those two would have in common. Coming up blank. We'll come back to that one. You wanted to make a point, though. Um, yeah, I just find it Brazil-wise, it, I'm sort of looking for for weaknesses in them, and, and I guess they're just psychological as much as anything. Jack's already mentioned about the um, the prospect of facing Germany, but I just find this thing of rotating the captains a little bit odd for a tournament like the World Cup, and when you've got players of the of the mentality of Neymar, who maybe need keeping in check, and you think about the great Brazil sides who who had strong figures as captain in the past, I just wonder if that might prove to be um, a decision that they come to regret. Mm, we'll have to see. They do start as strong favourites for this group. Who do you see going through alongside them? Your options are Switzerland, Costa Rica or Serbia. Hey, Daniel, Serbia. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Team Serbia here. They won a group that was not particularly strong. Um, they got past Wales and Ireland, basically. Um, but more than... A lot of teams coming into this tournament, when I was making notes, there's a lot of a lot of countries whose players aren't in form. Serbia seems to be the opposite. Alexander Mitrovic has scored a heck of a lot of goals in the Championship for Fulham. They have um, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, who is bang in form. They've got a, a central midfield probably of um, Luka Milovic from Palace and, and Nemanja Matic at Manchester United. There's a lot there. Um, and I think they're a slight dark horse. I mean, mm. obviously finishing second in the group becomes very difficult because you probably play Germany but I think Switzerland ranked sixth in the world but Serbia should not be scared of Switzerland at all I don't think a grizzled bat line there with Ivanovic and, and Kolarov but it it is surely all about Milinkovic Savic is this going to be his breakout tournament James and how excited should people be who haven't watched him uh, turn out for Lazio <laughs> very excited uh, because he's uh, a very unusual player in that he's what six foot three um, and yet uh, he's got all the kind of skill that you'd associate with a, a Brazilian um, was fantastic in that final game against uh, Inter even though it didn't go for his side finished the season with 12 league goals uh, which was uh, more than any Lazio midfielder has ever had in history and you look back at some of the players they've had uh, Deki Stankovic um, even Pavel Nedved um, but the problem, I think, really, is that he's only played two games for Serbia. Um, he didn't play a part in their qualifying campaign. Um, it was one of the reasons why um, the FA were aggrieved with uh, Muslin, uh, who was uh, the predecessor for Kristahic. And I think, a little bit like Pogba, he's quite a difficult player to integrate into a side. Right. Um, you need a very specific structure around him for him to do um, what he's so good at. Which is now the responsibility of Mladen Kristajic. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is another nation which has recently changed managers. And in other cases, we've suggested this is going to be a problem. Daniel, you don't see uh, Muslim's departure as being an issue? Traditionally, Serbia going to tournaments and aim to be ugly and aim to win, if not dirty, then certainly win ugly. I hope that, that the new coach sees this with Brazil as the clear group leaders and with Germany probably coming next, I hope he sees this as a, a chance to kind of roll the dice on it and, and try and integrate someone like Linkovic-Savic and try and 
keep faith Alexander Mitrovic and Dusan Tadic will probably play as well and, and actually try and be attacking because I don't think uh, Switzerland or Costa Rica will expect that from a Serbia side. Um, mm. If you watch Serbia's under-21s, they are incredibly attacking. They try and play really fluent football. So I hope this is a kind of a new era for Serbia and I think this is a good chance to do it. Can I just have a quick point on the captain, Kolarov? Yeah. Because this was one of um, the changes that Kristahic brought in when he became coach. He basically stripped Ivanovic of the captaincy and gave it to Kolarov, then benched Ivanovic, then had to bring him back. Um, But Kolarov's had an excellent season with Roma. Um, I think it might come as a bit of a surprise for people to learn since he's left England that uh, this season uh, there are only three players in City who created more chances uh, than Kolarov for his teammates and can often win you games just just by virtue of the fact that he's a fantastic free kick taker. Um, so, you know, I think, um, you know, he's a, a wily veteran, but I think he's he could be a match winner on the day for them. All right. Does anyone want to make a case for Switzerland or Costa Rica? Costa Rica, Jack, of course, who one of the stories of the last World Cup, topping the group with England, Italy and Uruguay, losing then in the quarterfinals to Holland only on, on penalty kicks. This time, how are they set? They're actually a very similar side to the side we saw four years ago. So after that tournament, there was a brief period for uh, renovation. Well, attempted renovation under Paolo Wanchup didn't go very well. He's been replaced by Oscar Ramirez, who basically has restored all of his predecessors' work. So George Luis Pinto used a, like a five, five-man five defence, four in the field, one up front in the last World Cup, aiming to score on the break that's what they do now the team knows each other really well because the personnel is more or less the same mm. so I think there are reasons to think they will be solid but I they might struggle a little bit because firstly they're not a surprise package anymore which may be you know, the, the Iceland problem as well and also key players have had very disrupted seasons so Joel Campbell's barely played for Betis until right at the end of the season. Brian Ruiz has been in and out. And yeah, I think they will probably look to secure a couple of draws and sneak a win, but I I think they will have a hard time getting out. What about Switzerland? Who are another of the teams that I traditionally think of as being really dull along with Serbia. I mean, this is the potential to be a really awful group, even (laughs) if Brazil are in it. Um, what, What about Switzerland? Uh, I mean, they've got a problem which we've been we've been talking about quite a lot in in this group of players not playing regularly or well for their club. You know, Stefan Licksteiner, the captain, not getting much of a look in, and, and Harris Seferovic, who, who plays up front for them, hasn't scored or completed ninety minutes for club or country in in twenty eighteen. So wow. that's where their problem lies. But they they were scintillating in qualifying. The only points they dropped were that defeat against Portugal. Maybe a little lucky to sort of just about amble past Northern Ireland in the playoff. But lucky, yeah. With the, with the- yeah, the handball quite, penalty. Yeah. But but it makes them really difficult to get a read on because they were quite poor in those two games. But mm. as I say, they were one of the best European teams over the qualification campaign. Obviously, they're they're ranked six in the world or something ridiculous. Aren't yeah. they? I don't think they're anywhere near that good. But for me, it's 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 them or Serbia for second place. I quite I quite like them for second place actually. Switzerland. Yeah, they. I mean, all of this is with a massive caveat because they haven't played many good teams but they've kept 10 clean sheets in the last 13 games. They, I think they know their limitations, which goes a long way at the World Cup. They've snuck out of the group at the last two major tournaments, and I think they're going to benefit from playing Brazil first. If there is going to be a betting-in period for Neymar, it will be in that first game. Brazil have been frustrated, as I mentioned before, by teams who sit back, and I think from what I've been hearing from the uh, Switzerland camp, they'd be delighted with a draw in that game. So a nil-nil in that, never know, and they could uh, be away. Right. 
Jack's calling Switzerland to get a result against Brazil and Switzerland to accompany the Silesau out of the group. James, who's going through? Uh, I'm going to go with Brazil and uh, Serbia. Dan? That's another one for me, yeah. Matt? Brazil and Switzerland, I think the, uh, the experience of the two coaches between those two teams might be, there, might be the telling factor. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Next up, it's Group F, and they can only mean this. Sweet sounds of guzzles with half time there. Um, featuring, as far as I can tell, a line about bouncy castles, which is nice. In this group, Germany, where Guzuz is a big star, Mexico, Korea and Sweden. And we're joined now, actually, uh, by Frieden, Frieda Fagerland of Aftenbladet. Frieda, so nice of you to pop in. Oh, thank you for having me. No, no, it's a delight. We, we can hear why Sweden. Why Sweden, Frieda? Uh, why might they go through? Mm. Well, um... To start with, I don't think anyone expected us to be in the World Cup. Um, when we were drawn against Italy in the playoff, everyone was like, OK, goodbye, see you in a, another four years. And no one thought that they will go through. And then they did. And it's, you know, in Sweden, it's called um, the miracle in Milan, because that, that was almost like, you know, what it felt like when, when they went through. So um, the expectations aren't that high. Really, we know that it is a limited team, but at the same time, if we can beat Italy, why can't we, you know, come second in the group and go through, to, you know, to the next round? Mm, you've not seen much of Italy of late. Is all I can think. <laughs> no Zlatan, of course, these days. Is is that slightly better, maybe, in terms of the team, the way they play? Um, well, I think it's always good to have a quality play on your team, of course. Uh, of course, Sweden is better with Zlatan than without. But at the same time, Sweden went through because they are a very solid group, um, a very good, strong team together. There aren't really any big stars. Our biggest star is Emil Forsberg mm. of uh, RB Leipzig, who's been rumoured to Liverpool and Arsenal and so on. But apart from him, it, it's you know, it's it's a decent team, but they work very well together, and that's why they've gone through. Which nation do you, th- you see as your biggest rival for that? Are you concerned about Mexico, South Korea? Um, I think my biggest concern is Mexico. Yeah. Uh, you know that teams from South America play very well football. Um, and so, yeah, that's my biggest concern. I think South Korea, that's a game we should be able to win. Uh, I think we are more organised than South Korea is. Um, so hopefully um, we have three points there. Mm. Uh, hopefully maybe we have three points even against Mexico. And then obviously Germany, I mean, beforehand, I feel like it's it's a game we've already lost. But at the same time, everything can happen. So. D- didn't you have a game when you came back from 4-0 down at halftime? Did, yeah. yeah. So you never know. That's the crazy thing about football. Nobody likes South Korea, though. Is Sweden going to take three points against South Korea, Daniel? Yeah, I think... As a rule, the Asian sides in this tournament are as weak as they've ever been. Um, the best of them, I think, is probably well, the best two of them are Japan and Iran, and both have got Japan's draw isn't bad, but Iran's draw is awful in Group B. South Korea are one of the weakest teams in the tournament, I think. Um, they they obviously rely on Sun Hyung Min 
um, but shut him down and there's there's actually very little else behind him. So I, I agree. I think Sweden will beat them. And having them in the first game is obviously brilliant because it means if you win that first game, suddenly the pressure is then on on Mexico to to do the same and to, to, to beat Sweden. So, yeah, I think the draw does well for Sweden. I agree. I think Mexico are probably favourites to go through ahead of them. All right. Mexico have gone out in the last 16 of six straight World Cups now, Matt. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Daniel that I think they are, they're very much favourites for second place, but you almost wonder if it's just a hiding to nothing because they'll probably lose to Brazil in the last 16, but they've set the standard for themselves in, in the last the last six World Cups. Only Germany and Brazil and Mexico have, have got out the group every time. Um, so they've certainly got a chance. They've got some decent players as yeah, well, Mexico. Um, so you'd like to think that they'll be able to at least give Germany a game and maybe give Brazil a game in the last 16. But yeah, um, South Korea very much the whipping boys right. of but this group. Some of those decent players that you're referencing there, Rafa Marquez still, Chicharito, Achur in goal, and young Chucky. Everyone's getting very excited about, how do I, is it Hurving Lozano? Lozano. How is it, Jack? I don't know. Chucky. <laughs> Chucky. Why is everyone so excited about him? Uh, he's a pacey winger. I think he's perhaps still growing into, uh, you know, top-level football at PSV. He's a little bit, can be a little bit haywire. So recent Mexico games, one of their main issues has been finishing off chances. So they uh, only beat Scotland 1-0 earlier in the week, created 34 shots and only scored once. Lozano, I think, was as guilty as anyone in that. Um, that I think will be their issue but interesting you mentioned Marquez I think I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's the only player at the World Cup currently uh, wanted by the US Treasury on suspicion of drug trafficking no way <laughs> yeah somehow managed to still get in the squad despite that and I guess if you know if the strikers do need a better supply right <laughs> <laughs> yeah Mexico were booed off um, at the Azteca in that 1-0 win against uh, Scotland and they were right. calling for the manager to, uh, to go and uh I'd expect them to maybe draw on some of the lessons they learnt from the Confederations Cup last summer when they did get out of the group and then they were hammered uh, by Germany. And all of the last year has been about preparing to play Germany again. And his best laid plan, which was to play Diego Reyes, the centre-back, as a midfielder in front of the defence, he's injured. Um, Hector Moreno, the other first-choice defender, he was at Roma for the first half of the season, then went to Real Sociedad, he hasn't played much. And uh, the other centre-back that they had, Nestor Araujo, is injured. So I think their problems will be as much at the back as they are you know, in terms of scoring goals. So I think I would usually say Mexico would be um, a favourite to be a runner-up in this group. But I think Sweden. I think Sweden can do it on the basis of all those problems, really. Wow. Also, we shouldn't forget that yeah. three of the last four holders have gone out in the group stages. Ooh. The only one is Brazil uh, from 2002-2006. The others have all failed. Well, who, who are the holders right now again? Who's... Oh, it's Germany, Germany, isn't it? There you go. Right, Germany, who've, who've only just gone and shot the footballing world by leaving out one of their brightest talents from their World Cup squad, Leroy Sané. Only one man to ask about this, and that's Raphael Honigstein, who producer Ben dialed up on his holidays earlier on. Um, huge surprise. Lewis dropping him, name-checking Julian Brandt as the guy that made it into the final 23 ahead of him. In a way, though... Perhaps not a surprise because Sane would have gone as third or fourth or perhaps even fifth choice in, in wide positions. And my guess is that Löw doesn't feel that the system can be or should be tweaked to the point where he fits in better and perhaps doesn't quite trust him 
to go to Russia as a substitute and being happy and supportive in that role. Raf, it's not the easiest group in the world you've got there and England are looming large in the quarterfinals if you make it that far. But are you going to do it again? Are you going to retain the World Cup? I think Germany go into this tournament with a, a reasonable degree of confidence. I think this time around, they'd of course like to defend their title, but they know that no, no one's done it in the modern times and that it's going to be very, very difficult. The recent history of tournaments has, has taught them that it comes down to very small details when it comes to the semi-finals and finals. Uh, Germany have lost games where they were the better team. They've won games where they were probably outplayed to a certain extent. And I think the main thing you can do is make sure that you are in contention and try to deal with the problems and with misfortune, all these things that tournaments throw up as best as you can. And I think whatever you want to say about this Germany team in Louv, one thing they have shown over the last few years is that they've always uh, turned up. Uh, not always uh, winning, of course, but they're always there and they take some stopping. Once it goes down to the semi-final, perhaps in final, it's it's a coin flip. But I think Germany will be strong enough to go all the way in terms of the length of the competition. Give us a bit of optimism. Where are you weakest? Well, Germany don't have a world-class left-back. Yeah, Jonas Hector is very decent, very serviceable, but he's just been relegated with SDF to Cone. And there's no real backup um, for him of a similar level either, um, to make matters worse. So I think that's where Germany are a little bit vulnerable. I um, also think that the midfield, apart from Tony Kroos, is of course um, the first name on the team sheet, perhaps doesn't quite have the same flexibility and uh, and guile that they had when Schweinsteiger and Laum were still around as option and when Kadir were still four years younger. So some positives up front, but perhaps not that much quality in the centre. Raphael Honigstein will be joining us throughout the uh, World Cup in Russia. Just to jump in on that, the, yeah. the Sane thing might not even be the most outrageous thing about that squad. Go on. They've given a left-back the number two jersey. <sighs> Marvin Plattenhardt. He's trolling us, Yogi, isn't That's he? disgusting. Effective was They've gone to six straight semi-finals in major tournaments. There's no yeah, way they're coming up. Group stages now, Jimbo. Well, <laughs> why? Why, James? Construct a world in which that could happen. Well, it's the intensity there um, that we see. It's very hard to repeat. The last team to actually go back to back in World Cups was Brazil uh, in, what, 58, 62, I think. Um, yeah, we've and, certainly seen them struggling in qualifying. Well, they haven't won the last five games, as we record. They're all friendlies. They've been experimental and all that sort of thing. But there's the Curse of Confederations Cup, Jimbo. If you win that, you don't win the World Cup. Is that right? Is that, that a is, thing? That is a thing, yeah. So okay. there you go. No, but 100% in their qualifying matches... You did ask me to construct... I was being yeah, devil's advocate there. Neuer's fitness, is that mm-hmm. something? Could you maybe... Well, no, because Ter Stegen is, is not only a very good goalkeeper, but he plays right, in more or less the same style as Neuer. Where are the goals coming from now that Miroslav Klose is gone? Could that be a thing? The Mario Gomez button is still there to be pushed, yeah. but Timo Werner's emerged. That, yeah, that's the worrying thing for everyone else, is that they've suddenly found Timo Werner, who actually is a brilliant centre-forward option for them. Uh, and I think they will use him and Muller in tandem, which is pretty frightening for everyone else, I think. Mm. I think they're the favourites. Frida, what do you think? Well, I think so too. I think Timo Werner is a very, very exciting player. Um, lucky for us, Emil Forsberg uh, knows him very well. So hopefully he's, you know, been given some tips on how to stop him. OK. Your predictions then to qualify from the group? Uh, Sweden and Germany? Yeah. Matt, what do you think? <laughs> um, yeah, I think we might have a full house here. Germany, Sweden for me. Daniel? 
I'll go against Matt then. Germany and Mexico. Ooh. James? Uh, Mexico and Sweden. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Come on, man. Live a little. <laughs> OK, I mean, tongue-in-cheek, I'll say Mexico and Sweden. Good yeah. for you. Jack? I think Germany and Mexico, just about. All right. It's going to be tight, though, isn't it? It's going to be fascinating to watch, as indeed all the World Cup will, and you can follow it right here with us after you're done watching it on the Totally Football Show's World Cup coverage. Time now to hear from Paddy Power talking to producer Ben. Thank you, Jimbo. I'm back here with Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, how are you since we last spoke? I'm wonderful, thank you. Buzzing for this World Cup. Fantastic. OK, let's look at Group D quickly then. Argentina, they're the favourites to go through in this group, I presume. But um, let's look for a bit of value. What about them not keeping a clean sheet? Yeah, I mean, this is a good pick based on the fact they have 10 attackers basically on the pitch. They're 6-1 to one not to keep a clean sheet, which strikes me as slightly mad. Uh, they'll score a lot of goals. I think they'll concede some too. What about Iceland then? Can they uh, not only get out of the group, can they make it to the quarterfinals? They're 6-1 to one to reach the quarterfinals, which is interesting. Uh, at the Euros last time, they would have been out 60-1, to one, but then, of course, they met England. Let's look at Group E then. Um, is there any chance of Switzerland finishing ahead of Brazil? <laughs> I would have said no, but our traders of prices went up for me, and it's a relatively short 15 to 2. I thought that would have been like 100 to 1. Brazil, outright favourites, but Switzerland apparently have a half decent team, and Shakiri. Well, let's look for something a bit more certain then. Germany, they've got to be favourites, so um, you're going to have to give me the price on them. But also, looking for a bit of value again, what would happen if they get knocked out in the quarterfinals? Germany are our joint favourites. They're 9 to 2 with Brazil, original, I know. Uh, to go out in the quarterfinals, they're 10 to 3. Uh, that's where they might meet a certain England team. So great value there, or not. All right, and I presume that Thomas Muller is going to be scoring a, a bag full of goals <laughs> in, in their uh, progress to the World Cup final. Uh, what are the odds on him being the top scorer again? He's actually quite a long shot. He's 30 to 1, which is some way behind the favourites, which are Messi, Griezmann, Neymar, etc. Uh, if Germany are going to progress, he's probably a good pick. Although Timo Werner at 14 to 1 will probably be their top scorer, I think. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com, 18 plus only, begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, ooh, the answers, Matt, to the questions. Mm. Mick Pretty... McCarthy, Pelle, yeah. Yeah, OK, so what did Mick McCarthy do in 1990 that Pelle did in 1970? Do you know that, Frida? I have no idea. I'm, I was born 1992. So. Is it anything? Yeah. <laughs> but this is, you know, as were we all, but this is history we're talking here. Is it, is it something to do with Viagra? No, I don't think it was invented in 1970, actually. But, yeah, good effort. <laughs> the answer is concede the most fouls at a World Cup. Ah. Use that one on your friends. <laughs> uh, name the only World Cup which Nigeria have featured in but haven't played Argentina. Only once did they go to a World Cup and not play Argentina. Daniel, you were right, 1998. Mm. How many goals did Argentina's DDA 6 be directly involved with in the 1978 World Cup? The answer was five, oh, no. ironically. <laughs> Raw drama for you there. As I say, look out for our other podcast covering the other World Cup groups. I do hope you've enjoyed this one. Many thanks to Frida, Matt, Daniel, James and Jack. And we'll catch up with you again very soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. Subscribe now and get the latest episode delivered right to your phone for free.